Let us pray. Our Father, it is beyond our comprehension, the mighty works of your hand, how you created heaven and earth out of nothing by the power of your word and how you orchestrate all things good, all for your glory. We realize that we are finite creatures and you are infinitely powerful, good, wise, and the overflowing source of all good. We praise you for you laid the foundation of the earth. You determine its measurements. You commanded the morning since our days began and caused the dawn to know its place. Lord, who are we to comprehend the expanse of everything you made? Who are we to question your providence and your sovereignty? But instead, may we be in awe of you. May we have deep reverence for who you are and how you mysteriously hold all things together in this world. Therefore, you are trustworthy. Father, you treat us far better than we deserve. For you have provided us at the close of this Sabbath day your unfailing grace and your unfailing mercy through your means of grace to be invited into your presence again. Not on our own accord, but by the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, his blood shed for us. For you are not a father who does not know what is good for us, but you are indeed a father who knows and provides what's best for us even before we ask or think. You know what's best for our body and soul. You know how weak and prone we are to wander apart from you, your Son and Holy Spirit. And so we thank you that you assure us in simple ways that not even a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from you, that even the hairs of our heads are all numbered by you. And so therefore you care for us to alleviate all our fears, our anxieties, our worries in this life, which is full of trouble, because to you we are more valuable than many sparrows, because you promise to take care of us. And for that, we praise your name in all the earth. And Father, we thank you that we not only have you and your son, Jesus Christ, our great high priestly king, but also the Holy Spirit who proceeds from you and your son. We thank you that the same spirit at work from the beginning of creation, who inspired the prophets of old, who led the Israelites in the wilderness by pillar and cloud, is the same spirit who dwells in us uniting us to Christ, who is active in us, who is renewing us in light of the new creation blessings earned for us in Christ Jesus. May the Spirit's power continue to transform our hearts, nourishing us and strengthening our souls through the ordinary means of word and sacrament, so that we may be empowered to be a people for good works, so that Christ may be exalted. And Father, as we begin another week ahead, comfort us even now. Give us abundant joy to persevere till the end, looking ahead to that celestial city earned for us, knowing that our ultimate home is not here but in heaven. Yet guard our hearts even now from the evil one and help us to be sober-minded, alert, to be of close watch over ourselves so that we may not fall into temptation. Help us in every way. Grant us wisdom where we lack wisdom. 
And help us to do all things that please you with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And so, Father, we bring to your throne these intercessions on behalf of each other through that intercession of our elder brother at your right hand, even Jesus Christ, your eternal Son. Amen. Our offering this evening is for the Benevolence Fund. And so, uh, let us uh, express our worship through our giving. Let us stand once again as we sing our song of preparation. It's found in number 1B, How Bless the Man, number 1B.
Let us pray and ask God for his blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. With our lips we declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies we delight as much as in all riches. Help us now to meditate on your precepts and fix our eyes on your ways. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may now be seated. Our scripture reading is found in Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm. Psalm chapter 1. People of God, hear now God's holy word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. The the passage that we've just read is a wisdom psalm. It has the characteristics of wisdom literature, similar to passages in the book of Proverbs. Uh, The language of exhorting God's people to live wisely, that To live wisely is to walk in the right way as opposed to living foolishly in the wrong way. And so why does Israel's Psalter begin with a wisdom psalm like Psalm 1? Why is it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that it's positioned at the beginning? Well, commentators uh, consider this to be sort of a gateway psalm. A gateway psalm, and rightly so, uh, which opens the door to the rich wisdom of the other psalms. And interestingly, the, the wisdom in this psalm introduces us to the question, how does a blessed person look like? What does it mean to be blessed? And why is Psalm 1 an exclusive requirement to be truly blessed to be truly wise against worldly wisdom which compete against this truth. In verse 1, we read there, blessed is the man. The noun uh, blessed in Hebrew could also be translated happy. It could be translated happy. And so we can read it as happy is the man. And of course, man here is not only speaking to males, but it's, it's speaking generally to both male and female, and we could read it as happy is the person. And so what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be happy? It's the question that many people in life try to answer. It's the goal that many people try to pursue, the pursuit of happiness. 
And yet people spend their whole lives looking for the answer in all the wrong places. Not realizing that the answer to be truly happy is right here in Psalm 1. The answer is right here in Psalm 1. The good news is that this revelation is freely available. It's free counsel to those who are willing to hear, to those who are willing to listen, to those who are willing to gain true knowledge. We read there, blessed is the man. And then as you read the rest of the chapter in just six verses, it reveals how a person can be truly happy forever. Perhaps this sounds too good or, you know, too simplistic to be true. But you see, beloved, how many suicides could have been prevented? How many marriages could have been saved if only people knew where true happiness exists? But not only that, there's depression, there's lying, there's hopelessness, there's abuse, there's abuse, there's addiction, misplaced desires, identity confusion, wrongful actions, self-righteousness, dysfunctional families, jealousy, hatred towards one another, greed. I mean, the list is endless in a fallen world distorted by sin. But what if there was a way? What if God speaking to you through Psalm 1 actually unlocks the secret to a happy life, a joyful life, a satisfying life? And it isn't merely to improve your quality of life, but a complete renewal of life, a complete raising from the dead to life in the midst of this present evil age. That you can actually be free from the power of sin in your life. That people in their brokenness can still have hope. And perhaps you're here today struggling with your own brokenness. With your own sin. Perhaps you're in need of healing tonight. Or maybe you're here today skeptical. Or maybe you're apathetic. You think you don't need renewal because God's word, you know, it's, isn't worth anything. But just what? Just good advice, right? Just another opinion? Or perhaps it's just another life hack that works for some people but not for you? But why not instead consider carefully this evening in His Word permanent life-giving, life-transforming solutions for real-life problems? And so, friends, I want to ask you this evening, do you want to be happy Do you you want to be happy? Do you want to have real peace in your life that is long-lasting? And if your answer is yes, then I invite you this evening to carefully consider what it means to be truly happy, to be truly blessed. And so later, as we'll see, the hope of Psalm 1 is that it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, beloved. That since Christ is the truly blessed man, who renew sinners to have the blessed life, you are now alive in Christ to live a life of righteousness. And so how do we unpack that truth in our passage? Well, we can reflect upon it um, by, by, by thinking about three truths in our passage. And first, we'll see the two ways to live. Second, the true source of living And finally, the final destiny of life. The two ways to live, 
the true source of living, and finally, the final destiny of life. First, we see that there are two ways, two ways to live, and and we see that there in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. See that? And we can immediately assume the opposite truth in which cursed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked. And so we see that there are two fundamental ways to live in life, to walk in righteousness and to walk in unrighteousness. And why are there two ways to live in life? Well, because there are two different kinds of people who live different lives. There is the blessed man and there is the cursed man. The cursed man is not blessed because he does not find favor with God. And what's the opposite of being blessed? It's to be cursed. It's to be cursed. The blessed man lives this way and the cursed man lives the opposite way together with the unrighteous. And so in verse 1, we see how the blessed person is being described by what he is not. He is described by way of negation in three ways. We see that there he does not seek counsel with the wicked. He does not stand with sinners. And finally, he does not sit with scoffers or other translations, ridiculers. And so the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers, they're all ways of referring to those who are unrighteous. And notice that there are degrees in the posture of siding with the unrighteous by walking, by standing, and by sitting with them. First, why are we not to walk in the counsel of the wicked? And what does it mean to walk in their counsel? Well, the verb to walk is an idiomatic expression in Hebrew poetry which signifies how one lives. It signifies how one lives. Because how common is walking? right? It's very common. It's a very common thing you do, especially in the ancient world without any Uber or Lyft that's available. You walk all the time. You walk from point A to point B. So walking is as common as the way one lives life, whether you do it ethically or unethically. You see, beloved, with the cursed man, His way of life is to seek counsel from the wicked as their source of wisdom. Now, to hear the wicked in our ears may sound like it refers only to unbelievers who are particularly, you know, evil, or maybe they're the dangerous type. But as one Hebrew scholar points out, the translation wicked still limits its fuller meaning. That's why a better translation is referred to them, as the King James puts it, that these are the ungodly. These are the ungodly. And they are ungodly not only because they do evil acts, but they're ungodly because they don't have God in their hearts. They don't have God in their hearts. They don't have God in their thoughts. And so even if they portray you know, some measure of good by appearance. The truth is, if it comes from an unregenerate heart, if it comes from an unregenerate heart, their seemingly good deeds are tainted with sin. But on the other hand, you know, it's not to uh, discredit unbelievers, 
you know, who do kind things for us, who do even very noble things in life. I mean, we, we, we definitely should give thanks and appreciate and utilize the wisdom and the knowledge under the realm of common grace. But the reality is, people with godless hearts do not have saving grace. They do not have the saving knowledge that empowers them to do what truly pleases God. And so if their mind, their heart, and their soul is tainted with sin and their desire is not after the things of God, then what godly counsel can they offer? What can they offer? Nothing. Really nothing. Because what do we desperately need? What do we need? What we, desperately, what we desperately need, beloved, is a divine word to speak resurrection life into our minds and into our hearts. That's what we need. And the ungodly do not have God's word in their hearts and upon their lips to give wise counsel. Second, why are we not to stand in the way of sinners? And what does it mean to stand in their way? Well, to stand in their way is another expression to mean to stop and consider their lifestyle. To stop and consider their lifestyle. And it's the sinner's lifestyle that the blessed man must not follow. And so we not only avoid ungodly counsel, but we must also avoid those who live ungodly lives. And why? Because God is a holy God with holy standards. God's moral standard is what governs the life of the blessed man. The way of sinners leads to destruction, but the way of God leads to what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And third, why are we not to sit in the seat of scoffers? Well, it's the same way that we don't seek ungodly wisdom and ungodly living. To avoid sitting with scoffers is a poetic way of saying to not join with them in their sinful gathering. And what are scoffers? You know, scoffers could also be translated the ridiculers or the mockers, right? The mockers ridicule God and they ridicule those who live according to God's ways. You know, these are the people who speak against God, both in their behavior and also in their hearts, also in their hearts. And so that's why the blessed man does not join with them. He doesn't join with them. And so what does this all communicate to us? Well, as one writer puts it, it's a warning for you and I as believers that if you embrace the, the spiritual guidance from unbelievers, you will gradually begin to live like unbelievers. Right? You will live like the world. And the more you live like the world you will become entangled in it. And just to clarify, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we avoid unbelievers, right? In fact, the Bible tells us we are to love everyone made in the image of God. We're, we're to live peaceably among all people. We're to cooperate with all people. But beloved, listen, what we don't do is to join the ungodly Right, is to join the godly in the way they understand ultimate reality or in the way that they live according to that, to their own false ultimate reality. 
And so for now, in this sinful world, we must cooperate with them in common society, yet without us compromising our faith. We are to cooperate without compromising our faith. And beloved, if we're honest with ourselves, that could be very hard. That could be very hard, especially when there's this ongoing battle even within our own flesh, the world, and even the devil. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, we moved from the States to uh, a foreign country in the Philippines. You know, it, it was a place where my parents grew up. And to be honest, you know, it was a culture shock for me, right? It was a culture shock. It was a culture shock for this American boy, right, who didn't know the culture, who, who didn't speak the language, you know, I was barely adapting to this new culture and to this new environment, and it wasn't easy. But because, you know, I was so desperate uh, to fit in, you know, I was, I was so desperate to be ordinary, I, I relied on my high school peers uh, to help me fit in. You know, I was relying on them to, to help, you know, uh, learn the Tagalog language, uh, because English is my first language, second language is in Tagalog, and Really, it was very difficult the first year being in a foreign country and learning a new language. And so I really relied on the people around me uh, to help me adjust, to help me to know the ins and outs of the culture, what to say and what not to say. Um, And so many were helpful, but as you can imagine, there were a few who were not helpful at all. (laughs) They they, they took it as a joke. They took advantage, you know, in, in trying to teach me the wrong things right? Trying to teach me the language, but even learning the bad language, even learning um, the ways we're in, you know, you could potentially waste your time and your energy and your money. And so me being this American boy, not my own personality, being very gullible and naive, I, you know, I, I regretted looking back at it now, following the path of the wicked, right? Which I allowed ungodly ways in my life to walk with the wicked, to stand in the way of sinners. And I'm sure many of us have stories that we're not proud of. We know the truth is, beloved, no matter what your shameful past is, you should be able to say with the Apostle Paul, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Amen. And so you see, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And he leads us to repentance, justifying us, sanctifying us so that now we can pursue a holy life. We can now walk according to His Word, which leads us to the opposite picture of the wicked man in verse 2, which is the blessed man. And it's this man who refuses the guidance of the wicked. He refuses to stand in the way of sinners, to sit in the seat of scoffers. And we read there, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And that's what the blessed person does. He delights in the law of the Lord. And what is the law of the Lord? Well, the word law in Hebrew here is pronounced Torah. 
right? And Torah is essentially the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and it means to instruct. It means to instruct. It's, it's the Lord's instruction, and it contains both God's promises and God's instruction. And now that today we have the whole canon of Scripture, it's not just the, the first five books of the Bible that we are to follow, that we must observe, but all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And why? Because all of Scripture is essentially an exposition of the Torah. And it's for the blessed man to seek wisdom in God's Word in order to love God, in order to love his neighbor. But not only does he delight in it and take pleasure in the law of the Lord, but what do we see there? That he meditates on it day and night. He meditates on it day and night. And to meditate is to ponder upon God's truth, to hide it in your heart and to gain full understanding of it. And how often do we ponder it? It's to be pondered day and night. It's a poetic expression to mean all the time. And so practically speaking, you, you, know, you may not be thinking of particular passages all the time, but, but the point there is that the truths of God's Word so permeate your life that in every life situation, you have both His promises and His instructions that whether in prosperity or adversity, you would know how to apply God's Word because it's so ingrained in you. And yet, even after it's now clear to us that there are two ways to live, that if we're truly honest with ourselves, the perfect picture of the blessed man is nowhere near the picture of us, isn't it? It's nowhere near us. Because no matter how much you try in your own human strength to think and act like the blessed man, it's impossible to live up to God's standard. It's impossible. The same way it's impossible for an elephant to go through an eye of a needle. And so how can we begin to live this ideal picture of the blessed man, right? Who do we look to or who do we turn to for the source of living a truly happy life? Well, to answer that question brings us to consider the second truth, which is the true source of living the true source of living. Because the prevailing thought of our culture is to look for the source of the good life where? Right? What does the culture say? To look deep within yourself. Right? To be your authentic self. Right? To uphold your desires as the highest authority rather than some objective moral truth from God. And that's the problem. Because that same sinful desire to be wise according to his own eyes is what caused the fall of the whole human race. That in Adam's failure from the beginning, he plunged the entire human race under the curse of sin and death. That our mind, heart, and desires became distorted. That we, become, that we became inclined by our sinful nature to hate God and to hate our neighbor. And so, beloved, if we can't produce the right mind, the right heart, the right desires, that even our own willpower, our own achievements, our own intelligence, our own expressive individualism can never make us right with God, then who can? 
Who is truly qualified to be the blessed man? The blessed man who has never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who has never stood in the way of sinners, who has never sat in the seat of scoffers. Beloved, it's none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus Christ. Jesus never compromised the law of the Lord. He never compromised the will of the Father. Instead, we see that he delighted in meditating upon the law his entire life. Jesus knew all the Psalms because he, because he knew all the Psalms from the very beginning. He fulfilled the life of the blessed man in the Psalms. And yet the Father who saw our sin and brokenness sent his only begotten Son to save us from our sins. And so isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful news that Jesus earned for us what we can never do for ourselves, beloved? And not only that, but because Jesus came, He came to fulfill God's law by sending His Holy Spirit to create in us new hearts to obey His law, right? He brings the blessings of the new creation into this present evil age to create in His people new minds and new desires, a new delight to meditate on His Word and the power for grateful obedience. And it's not in order for us to earn God's favor, but it becomes a natural fruit of faith that good works naturally flow from God's renewing grace from death to life. And so that now, beloved, being united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, we too are being sanctified. We too are, be, are becoming the blessed man. And that's why, beloved, your source of true blessedness, your source of true happiness is found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. He is your only source of true comfort in life and in death. And so furthermore, if you look at verse 3, it's a word picture of the blessed man when the psalmist says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, and all that he does, he prospers. So you see, the blessed person is like that tree, right? How how do we know that a tree will live and not die? How do we know that? Well, we know that it will live because it has the right source to sustain it. Because it's, it's one thing for a tree to be showered with rain from time to time, but it's another It's another thing for the tree to be planted by an endless source of flowing water. And the psalmist says that the tree is planted by what? By streams of water, right? That's an infinite source of flowing water, isn't it? And notice how the tree not only lives long because it's by water, but the tree thrives, The tree flourishes, it yields fruit, it it produces fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And so, beloved, just as the tree is planted by streams of water to produce fruit, so too the blessed man who is planted in God's Word will prosper in all he does. And who is our only source of spiritual prosperity? Beloved, it's none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of our fruit bearing. Remember when Jesus promised us in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine. My people who abide in me and my words are like the branches who bear fruit. 
And not only does He promise that we bear fruit, but that He produces in us what? His love and His joy when we abide in Him. So that He says, My love and my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? That it may be full. You hear that? That it may be full. And also, we see that Jesus is our endless stream of water when he said to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Amen. And so, beloved, even if your faith is weak in this present evil age, even if you feel there aren't any reasons to be happy when your world is falling apart, remember that the person who bought you with his precious blood owns your body and soul to be your only comfort in life and in death. And that's Jesus Christ. He will sustain you. He will replenish your joy when you feel sad. He will reaffirm your hope in Him when you feel hopeless. And so what better way for us to respond to that but to trust in Him by faith, by abiding in Him, by resting in Him, that you may find true happiness, that you may find true joy, true peace, as opposed to looking around and trying to find happiness in all the wrong places. Because in contrast, what happens when we, like the branches, are not connected to its life source? What happens? Jesus says, the branch withers away and is thrown into the fire. Right? And if you look at verse 4 of our passage, the same truth is communicated that the wicked are not like the tree planted by streams of water, but are like what? They are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so in the ancient world, the imagery of chaff is common in agriculture, right? Chaff is like that outer covering of the grain that needs to be separated. Or think about like whenever you're eating corn, right? Corn on a cob. You separate that outer outer layer of the corn called the husks. And and why? Because the outer outer husks are are not edible, right? They're thin. They're very light and it easily dries up. They're useless. So when the wind blows, it flies away. And really, it's a picture of the unbeliever, right? The unbeliever who is like chaff. He is the person who has no spiritual life source which produces nothing of eternal value. Now, unbelievers, as one commentator puts it, can you know, certainly appear charitable and kind and even improve one's life, one's living condition in which God may use for His own good purposes. But beloved, the Bible is very clear that unless good works are done on the basis of true faith, right? Unless good works are done on the basis of true faith and to the glory of God, they are worthless to God. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And so not only are we to think about the two ways of living, the true source of life, but finally we see in our passage the final destiny of life. In other words, what happens to sinners saved by grace in the end, right? And what happens to the ungodly or the unbeliever in the end? Well, we see in verse 5 what happens to the wicked, that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. 
The wicked will not stand in the judgment. And why? Because there will come a final day of judgment when Christ returns, right? That everyone must stand before God and give an account. The unbeliever may appear confident, right? The unbeliever may appear happy without God in his life. He may seem to live a quiet life, but deep in his heart, he is far from God. He is far from God. He has no fear of God, and he will not seek the cure that is being offered to him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For now, the unbeliever seems to prosper in his ways. But on judgment day, we see in verse 6 that every evil way in the end, right? Every evil way in the end will soon perish because the wicked who produce evil will also perish and suffer eternal punishment. In verse 5, the unbelieving sinners who dwell in the congregation of the righteous will be filtered out in the end, for they cannot stand in the final judgment when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. But what about the blessed ones, right? What about the righteous ones? What happens to them in the end? Well, we read in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But not only does the Lord know the ways in which the righteous live their lives, but He knows all of them. He knows them intimately. And why? Because of what Christ has done for us, who earned for us the blessed life and renews us by giving His life on the cross for our sins and was raised for our justification. And so who will stand on the final day with the full assurance of faith? Right? It's the righteous who will stand on the final day of judgment. Not to be judged, right? but to be vindicated. To be vindicated. For God will raise the righteous who are in the grave and will lift those up who are alive on that final day. And so finally, beloved, let me ask you this evening. Do you want to be truly happy? Do you want to be truly blessed? The answers to those questions are not far from you. You no longer have to look for the answers in all the wrong places. Because real happiness and real comfort is available to you in Christ Jesus if you come to Him by faith. That no matter what your failures are, no matter what suffering and disappointments life brings you, you can be rest assured that the blood of Christ can cover that. And that in Him there's mercy that in Him there's forgiveness. In Him there's an abundance of grace to do His will. So beloved, may you rest in Jesus Christ who is truly the blessed man who will earn for us the truly blessed life. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, graciously grant that Your Word which we have heard may be inscribed inwardly in our hearts. As we receive your word meekly with pure affection. May our hearts be filled with love and reverence for you. Cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following your commandments. May it please you to use us to lead those who are lost, wandering and confused into the way of truth. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.